As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. We want to bring in the experts strategically in the industry, like you guys at Empire and to some other people and said, we want to hear how you guys do it. And we want to build a system essentially around that. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities in order to qualify the sponsor in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Steve Rosenberg. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you, bud? I'm doing great and looking forward to our conversation again. And best ever listeners, you can hear Steve's other interviews, just Google his name plus my name. You'll get a couple other interviews that we've done today. We're going to be talking about lessons he learned and experiences he had from selling his business that I interviewed him about previously. So now Steve is the vice president of education for Mind Property Management. They've got over 10,000 single-family home properties. He educates investors about the benefits of small residential investing with a variety of content, including podcasts, videos, and other things like that. So our focus today is going to be on the sale of his property management company and lessons he learned so that should you come across an opportunity to sell your business or get into a venture where eventually you want to sell, well, this conversation will be helpful for you. So with that being said, Steve, first, you want to just give a refresher of your background and then we'll go right into it. Absolutely. So I'm down in Houston, Texas, and we owned a property management company and we were managing about a thousand units, single family homes. I'm also an airline pilot. So I actually have a full-time career, you could say. I didn't know you still had a full-time career as an airline yeah, pilot. Yeah. I fly 787s for United Airlines. So I'm- Huh. All right. I do international stuff. So you can have a career and build a business and sell it. It can be done. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. So we were building our business and thinking of taking over the world as everyone does. And going through the trials and tribulations that we all have, we're looking to expand in multiple cities and had been approached about maybe doing some licensing and franchising. 
because I do international travel and I speak internationally as well, we are actually looking at maybe doing some stuff in Malaysia as well as possibly Australia, just exploring the ideas with some people. So we were doing very well. Our business was basically built on systems, processes, procedures, a lot of checklists because of my airline background. We implemented a lot of those things. So it was a very optimally run company that was outsourced about 60% of it with virtual assistants in Mexico. So we had a lot of leverage. So we were very, I guess, in hindsight, we really were a prime company to be acquired or merged, however you want to call it, because our costs were low and our efficiency was very high. We were doing that to streamline for scalability and leverage on a growth model. And we had done this in about six years, this whole growth spurt. So as we kept going, my role in the company was sales and marketing. So I was the one that was kind of the face, tip of the spear, if you will. And my business partner was the uh, integrator and he was the operator of the business. So no one really ever knew who he was, but basically (laughs) I was out there bringing in people interested. A lot of things we did were we'd redirect funds. So I'd go speak in other countries or in other states on the West coast or other places and redirect them to invest in Houston or into Texas where we could manage the properties for a much lower price than what they could acquire something in, let's say the Bay area. Mm -hmm. So as this progressed, we got very well known in the industry with systems and processes and we got approached by a company. We had a couple of people actually approach us, but we really liked the people at mind. And when you start looking at this being a possibility and, and Joe, I don't know if you've ever gone through this. It's very interesting because You're taking something that you've built out of an idea, like a thought, you built it up into a structured, scalable model. It truly was a business that was for the most part running without us, unless we wanted to grow it. And you have employees and you have staff. So there's a lot of loyalty and you're taking that. And someone says, we want what you have. We want to take it. And there's a lot of mental torment that goes on in your brain because there's loyalty, but there's also your own loyalty to your family and to your time. And what is it worth? And my business partner and I, we had a lot of conversations on it and it's a tough thing to go through if you've never done it. Now, a lot of people sell because maybe they're losing their business or having challenges. We were the opposite. We were kind of skyrocketing and this just happened to come up. And again, I don't know if you or your listeners have ever gone through this at some variation. There's a lot of self-checking that goes on internally, a lot of internal dialogue are you making the right decision or the wrong decision? You know, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of stuff that you're going to mentally go through. And there's a lot of regret, a lot of emotions in the negotiations, which we all know is not the thing to do, but (laughs) you're selling the last seven years of your life and you're putting a dollar amount on it. And the acquiring company to their credit, when you're building a business, nobody really knows the battle scars that we all bear when you're building a business. We know it. And we're like, wait a second. I remember nightless sleeps and trying to fund and this and that. They're just like, hey, we like the asset. We're ready to move. Let's sign the contract and go. And you kind of want a little coddling. You want a little (laughs) hugging a little bit, you know? So it was a definitely, I don't want to say over-emotional, but there was a challenge mentally to get over it and deal with the situation at hand of, are we doing what's best for the team and for ourselves by keeping it? Or are we doing what's best for selling it? Mm -hmm. That's a tough question to go through. I can tell you that. How do you find an answer to that question? I tell you what, we went on facts. We went on data because the data doesn't lie. The facts don't lie. In the property management industry, there's a lot of consolidation, number one. Number two, there's a lot of disruptors starting to come in. It starts on the third-party cursory 
like the property management software and the yeah. apps and all yep. those things. And you can see the trend of it. The circle is getting smaller and smaller where they say, oh, you can't outsource that or you can't turn that into an app. This is a personalized business. And a year later, that's gone. Yeah. And then they say it again. So we were kind of seeing the writing on the wall. We were also seeing that a lot of the larger scale funds, venture capital, private equity, they were looking at the property management industry as an industry that's almost a, I don't want to say recession proof, but in good times, investors are buying properties. So property management scale in bad times, homeowners can't sell their properties. So they turn them into management properties. So any kind of the equation, you're always getting business essentially. Mm -hmm. yep. So we knew that the larger venture capital and people were looking at this and they were starting to gobble up the mom and pops. So what we were seeing was happening is the small, I call mom and pops, but the smaller unit management companies, they were getting eaten up a little bit. A lot of them, the average property manager age was 58 and a half years old. So a lot of them want a sunset. They want to go off and call it. Their kids don't want it because they've seen their parents run themselves into the ground being property managers. So they're saying, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And the larger scale companies were doing some more syndication, some more mergers. So who was left? The people like our company, the 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 units, you're kind of in no man's land. Mm -hmm. And we thought to ourselves, do we want to join them or do we want to have to fight them in our market? Because that's what it comes down to. If they don't buy us, they buy someone else. And mm -hmm. if they buy someone else, now we're competing against their dollars. So again, it's tough because you've got the emotion side, but you also have the logic side. And the logic was telling us the industry is changing just like any industry, just like Uber and bottled water and XM radio. And so we think that the industry in the next five years will be a complete metamorphosis of what it is today. And I also think that mine, the property management company, they are very much a technology company that's managing assets. So they manage properties and they understand how to do that and they do it very well and efficiently. But again, just like an Uber, they think it can be a lot more streamlined than it is because you know as well as I do in the industry, when you talk to someone about a property management company, they're horrible at communicating. They overcharge you. They do this, they do that. Well, when you think about it, those are all human factors that can be streamlined and possibly computerized in software if the AI is smart enough. Mm-hmm. So you get enough money into a sector and things will change. And that's kind of what we are seeing. And that's why we decided this is a smart move. Let's keep going down this path. Was it an unsolicited offer or were you actively looking for buyers? No, it was unsolicited. Came out of the blue. It came out of the blue. You hadn't considered selling and then you got this offer and you're like, huh, interesting. Well, what's even a little more interesting on this whole thing, just our trajectory, we'd been coached by a business coach for the last six years. And the business coach was part of a franchise. Okay. Well, the franchise is in about 85 countries. The founder lives in Las Vegas. As we were growing our company, he started kind of watching us and starts talking to us about maybe scaling this on a national level and talking how we could do that. And next thing you know, we bring him in as 10% partner in our company on a large scaling model. Basically what mind is doing is what he was saying that he thinks could happen with mm -hmm. us. The challenge though is, man, you're grinding a lot of gears and there's a lot of things when you're getting money from people and venture capital and other things. If you've never done it, it can be a huge mountain to climb if you've never climbed that mountain. And when you're doing it with other people's money, I'm thinking, 
I'm not sure that this is a path I want to take. So when, when mind came in and approached us and we started talking to them and saw everything that they were doing, it's like, man, this is what we think we could do. But seeing what they were doing, they have 40 developers constantly developing their own proprietary software. I'm thinking, I wouldn't even know how to begin to even fathom how to do this. Mm -hmm. Why so many of those types of roles? Well, again, they are very much a software technology company. So they believe the gentleman that founded Mind, Doug Bryan and Colin Wheel, they actually were two gentlemen that created a company about 10 years ago called Waypoint Homes. And they were purchasing homes at that time. And they collectively got up to 17,000 properties that they owned. Wow. So they've already done it before. They ended up going public. So they basically sat around and said, we think we could do this again, but we think there's a huge lack in the third party property management industry that is a huge void in customer service and technology. And we think we could fix it because they said that when you get above about 10,000 to 20,000 properties, your biggest challenge is not having control of the software. That is your biggest restrictor is what Hmm. they explained to us. So we realized that they had already done it once. Now they know the secret of the software is the key. That's kind of the nucleus of everything. I mean, everything spawns off of that. So their position was, which I think is very smart. They kind of came out and said, listen, we are not the experts in the industry. We want to bring in the experts strategically in the industry, like you guys at Empire and to some other people and said, we want to hear how you guys do it. And we want to build a system essentially around that. We know how to do a lot of things, but we don't know the third-party management as well as you guys do because you guys are in the trenches dealing with Mm. it. So they Mm. were very much like best idea wins. Look, we're willing to listen. You tell us and let's do it. That's fascinating because you'd think the company that's buying the other companies would be the expert in industry, but in reality, they are incredibly good at one area that they know is – what the long-term success relies upon in order to scale. And that is, as you said, software, which if you give me a multiple choice test or question and answer, and that software is option D and expert in property management, expert in financing, communication, contract work, I would have picked all those over software. That's really interesting. I agree. I would have thought it'd be staffing, communications, responsiveness. But when you think about all those things, all of those things could run through a software, technically. It's like Uber, right? You could never think that you'd get on your phone, which isn't really a phone, but you get on that, you push a button and some stranger pulls up into your driveway and says, I'm ready to take you to XYZ. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, that's really a software play. So I have learned when we were growing our company, we really doubled down on leverage of virtual assistants. And a lot of people said they had challenges. They more had a mental block with it. And I said, well, let me ask you this. When you have a app, isn't an app a form of leverage to do something faster than it, you were doing before? That's what the app was created for. And they agreed. I said, well, a virtual assistant is essentially the same concept. It's an app. It's a form of leverage. So what I have learned, it's interesting, Joe. This is not something that I have been in. So this is all new to me as well. But what's emerging in the industries, if you think about, are things that cause less friction to the client. So -hmm. when you think of Spotify and you think of Uber and you think of all these things, these are less frictionable things that give a better result and a better customer experience. And that's what all of these things that are coming out 
all these apps and all these programs and everything, that's all they're trying to do is decrease the friction between customer and supplier. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting when you get into these conversations with some of these gentlemen, they're based out of Oakland. So I'm spending some time up there and I'm really listening and trying to be a student of how this works. Because to me, it's a whole new world. Like you said, you don't really relate the two together, but when you think about it, it makes perfect sense that, yeah, it could be a software thing. If it was smart enough, there was enough money pulled into it. A lot of people talk about Zillow and how bad Zillow is. And Zillow's kind of dipping their toe into the property management world. And I hear a lot of naysayers tell me they can't do it. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? You throw enough money at anything and you can fix a problem. And that's exactly what they're doing. They may not get it right in a year or two years. It's just a matter of time. When you go to McDonald's and you don't even need to talk to someone and you push a button and you get all your food, that's an indication of AI. So switching gears from that to when you were coming up with evaluation with mine, what are some things that surprised you, either good or bad, about how they valued your company? Sure. And obviously everybody has their own thoughts and feelings of what is and isn't included or should be included. As far as they were concerned, they were very, very upfront and very, very fair. Obviously I can't say what it was, but they were very fair and realistic because we were fair and realistic. Now, there were certain things that I wouldn't have thought it was a big deal. And there's different ways I had learned to sell a company in the sense of for a property management company, you can sell the company as a whole entity, or you can sell the contracts of the company. So there's two different ways that you can sell your business. Now, if they buy the whole entity, that's a lot more invasive accounting wise, litigation wise, to make sure that you don't have anything pending as opposed to a contract, which is more streamlined. So that's something that I didn't realize. And then there's obviously different payouts of how you could be paid out. Obviously it's like winning the lotto, right? You want your money right now. It's not as much as it would be if you stuck it out for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was interesting. And like I said, they were just very fair, but I will say with that being said, you do have to remember that it is a business transaction and they have shareholders to protect and so do we. And I would say that the one thing that I alluded to in the beginning, you really got to make sure that you remember that everybody's going towards the same goal. Meaning if you decide to dance with a company, you really have to understand that there is no emotions involved. It's nothing personal. And sometimes the emotions will flare up and you almost have to step away and get back into negotiations maybe a day or two later because something that you're hung up on in hindsight is really not. It's more of your emotions that are dictating the conversation. That's what I have learned what, from that. What's a specific example in your case of that when it happened? Sure. So when we were talking about staff coming over, so for example, when staff would come over and it was like, okay, well, who's coming over? And there was no guarantees. But I'm like, but this guy, he was a reason that we got to where we were I really think we need to bring them over. And they're like, we get it, we understand, but we can't guarantee it because we don't know his role in the bigger company. So a lot of the staff that comes over isn't necessarily going to do the same role they were doing at your company. Right. So you have to realize that they are buying the intellectual property, they're buying everything about your company. But at the end, they really have the choice to do what they want with the team. Mm -hmm. And I can't say, oh, that person needs to be in that role. Wait a second. What are you doing with that? It's not my position anymore. You have to be okay 
that when you sell the company, and also the one thing that was very tough was letting the team know and putting them at ease. Because once they find out something's happening, you don't want people to all of a sudden jump ship because now the deal doesn't happen. Or even if it does happen, they're buying the success of all the team and everything that the team has done. Mm -hmm. But of course it's human nature. We always think worst case scenario. So some people all of a sudden start looking for jobs and doing this. And you're like, hold on, just wait up a second. So you're almost having to pacify people as well on that. Any tips for that? Yes, I would say definitely before anything happens or comes out, we were very open with the team. We let them know from the beginning what was going on. We had an inner circle of leadership. We let them know and we told them everything that we knew as we knew it. We got verification from mine that it would be okay. And we just wanted to make sure we kept open dialogue with everybody. And as soon as we could know that we had a deal, we brought the team in. We said, here's what's happening. Here's what we're working for everyone. So I guess boiling that down, I would say you have to overly communicate with the team because the people that are working for you, they've got families, they've got livelihood, they have time invested, sometimes more time than we have invested in the company. And there was many employees that were like, wow, I can't believe you guys did that. And we explained why. And they say, look, I understand. And I'm glad you guys did, but it wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't what mm -hmm. I wanted. And again, at some point you have to say, and this is something that when we were going through the transaction, we would say, well, we're doing good on our own. We don't need to sell. And my answer always is that could always change with a lawsuit. That could change with a law changing anything. And again, I'm not trying to say worst case scenario, but right. at some point a bird in the hand, like if you have a, an apartment complex that you're getting rid of and you go, well, it's making a lot of money, but what could I do with the money that I'm making? I really thought of, and this is what I would tell people is if you even talk to someone that tells me mentally, there is a thought and a chance that you are willing to do something. Cause if not, you wouldn't even have taken the conversation. So if you do think of what the opportunity cost is of what you can do, not only with the funding that you get from the sale or whatever happens, but your time, yeah. because that's all you have is time, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the thing I would say is really think about if you accept that meeting, don't think of the worst case. Think of what is the opportunity that could open doors. And I'll tell you, coming over to mind for myself has been a great experience because all of a sudden it has opened up a lot more doors for me on the speaking panel, speaking circuits, traveling, doing exactly what I like to do and what I think I do well at that probably would not have opened up as quickly at Empire. Steve, how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on at mine now? Sure. They can find me on Instagram, Rosenberg, R-O-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G, Steve, Rosenberg, Steve, or Facebook, Steven Rosenberg. They can also go to our website at mind. It's M-Y-N-D dot C-O. So it's just C-O. And if they Google me, they'll find a lot of stuff. I do a lot of speaking, traveling, and a lot of education. I'm all about educating investors. And again, if anybody wants to know more, I'm happy to chat with them. But it, it was a great experience. I'm really glad I did. And I'm glad I'm able to share it with people that it wasn't a doom and gloom, horrible, they ripped me off kind of story. Really, it was a fair situation that I think is worth anyone exploring if they own a business. And I love how you got into first be aware of the industry landscape where it's headed, what are the industry trends. So first, we need to be aware of that. And this is applicable not only to 
selling a company, but also individual deals too. Because you could talk about the market, the submarket, the job dynamic within that submarket. So first, just being aware of the business that you're in and the levers that need to be pulled in order for you to continue to have success and what happens if they're no longer being pulled or what happens if they go the other direction. And then if they are going in the right direction, then you'll be able to negotiate from a position of strength any opportunities that come your way. And then you can capitalize on those opportunities and then exit out successfully and then move on to some other things or other deals if it's a real estate transaction. So love the thought process applicable not only to selling a business but also individual deals. Hope you have the best ever day, Steve, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. See ya. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.